Are there particular books that you turn to during the long lockdown weeks of the pandemic? Do people like reading literature about pandemics when they're living through one? They're the sorts of questions that data scientist and literary scholar Melanie Walsh started wondering about when she was in lockdown. And her efforts to answer those questions were interesting, although not in the way that she expected. Melanie is assisting teaching professor at the University of Washington's iSchool, and she's written a very interesting essay about what she found. It's called Where Is All the Book Data? And it's published in the online magazine of ideas, arts and scholarship, public books. Melanie Walsh, welcome to Sunday Extra. Thanks so much for having me. Melanie, uh, what sort of books were you interested in finding the data for and what did you find? So when I first started thinking about this question, you know, I was wondering, do yeah, do people read books about pandemics? Are they are they reading and buying Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven, or are they reading escapist romance novels like Fifty Shades of Grey? Are they buying adult coloring books? Um, so yeah, I set out to find this data. I assumed that there must be some way of finding out exactly how many copies of a book were sold in a given month or year. But what I found out is that book sales data is heavily guarded by a specific corporation called BookScan, and that at least here in the US, you cannot access this data unless you are part of the publishing industry, which means that even academic researchers and journalists cannot access the data. So there's no way for me to get book sales data here in the US. So it's pay to play. <laughs> but it's interesting that you say that even as an academic, you can't get a research access. Even corporations like Facebook have started having some sort of collaborations to allow access to de-identified data in limited ways. But you found that not to be the case with BookScan. No, and this is an about face. This seems to be a reversal of a previously more open stance toward academic research because scholars have written about and used BookScan data in the past, in the last few years, but they have suddenly changed their mind. Um, I talked to the executive director of Books, David Walter, who provided no comment about <laughs> this, this change of stance. And so it's interesting because in the Australian context, BookScan is actually still owned by Nielsen. Um, so it was previously owned by Nielsen in the US as well, but it was sold to a company called the NPD Group in 2017. So in Australia, as far as I've been able to understand, researchers can still get access to BookScan data and use data for classroom use. But I think what's happening here in the US may be kind of a canary in the coal mine. There's nothing to stop Nielsen BookScan in Australia from also changing their mind and restricting access. And I think it just demonstrates how much unilateral power these corporations have over an extremely important part of the publishing industry. Yes, indeed. What implications do you see from the fact that this information is proprietary and not accessible to people who might want to dig around in different ways than just promoting sales? So yeah, there's no oversight of this system that, again, totally dominates the publishing industry today. So BookScan debuted in 2001, and since then, it's extremely influential in decisions about what books get acquired and what books get published and how much money is allocated for marketing or book tour campaigns for individual books. So the fact that we can't access this data that is 
making or breaking authors' lives and careers is really concerning. And we also aren't able to fully explore what kinds of patterns of inequality that this data might be reinforcing. So for example, other scholars have shown in the past that the publishing industry, especially in the US, has been extremely white and dominated by white authors. And, you know, there's evidence to suggest that book sales data similarly is sort of reinforcing this pattern of inequality. But because we don't have access to the data, we don't really know for sure. We can't say exactly how it might be shaping or contributing to these problems. If a book's by a new author, how could BookScan data influence the way it's marketed? So the way it works is that if you're trying to get a book published, an editor will typically look at two kinds of book sales data related to your work. So if you've published books before, they'll look at your previous book sales. But if, like you say, they're a new author, they will look at the book sales numbers for comp titles or comparable titles to your book. So if those book sales numbers are promising, then maybe there's a good chance your book will be published. But if they're not promising, it's going to be very hard for you to get your book published, even if the acquisition editor really believes in the project, thinks it's really creative or innovative. If the book sales numbers don't support the decision or the belief of the acquisition editor, it's really hard to get that book published. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with assistant teaching professor at the University of Washington's iSchool, Melanie Walsh, about where all the book data's gone. Melanie, we've talked about this proprietary model of book data. The alternative, I suppose, is open book data. What would that look like? And are there examples of it happening? That's a great question. Some people, I think, have been misinterpreting me a little bit based on the essay that I published, sort of criticizing the proprietary closed nature of book data. And some people have said that I'm calling for all book data, book sales data to be open, and that I think that making it open and publicly available will automatically improve the publishing industry or diversify books. And that's certainly not what I believe. You know, I think the argument that I'm trying to make is this data is already shaping culture. It's shaping the books that we read. So having more transparency, having some oversight, whether it be from academics or journalists, is really important to, again, try to understand what is actually going on here. How is this data, which is already being used every single day, um, how exactly is it shaping literature? But there are some alternative open source repositories of data that is similar to book sales data. So the Seattle Public Library, this is the public library in my hometown here in Seattle, is actually really unique in the U.S. in that it makes its book checkout data, its circulation data publicly available. So since 2005, there is information about exactly how many times each title in the collection has been checked out and whether it was checked out as an ebook or an audiobook or a print book. And this kind of data can enable us to answer some of the questions that we were interested in at the outset, like what books are people turning to during the pandemics? Are they checking out those adult coloring books, although maybe you can't get coloring books from the library. I don't know if that works. but <laughs> <laughs> that, That's really interesting. And, and is Seattle Public Library unique in doing that? Is that something that other public libraries are doing too? So this, as far as I know, is the only library that makes this kind of granular data available. There are other public libraries in the U.S. that make other kinds of data publicly available. So maybe they'll say, how many books were checked out in total at all the different branches in a city or something like that. But it's often not granular down to the level of the title and the medium. Um, There are some researchers who have sort of privately worked with different libraries like the um, Chicago Public Library, but 
as far as I know, the Seattle Public Library is sort of one of the leaders in, in this space. And why? Well, so, you know, it's tricky with libraries because librarians have long been really committed to protecting patrons' privacy, right? Mm. This is one of the foundations of library work that you should have the intellectual freedom to check out whatever books you want to, and nobody should be able to know you know, what books you checked out, what books you're reading. So the very idea of even collecting data about what patrons are checking out from the library is sort of anathema to, you know, the, the work of librarianship. So it's been kind of a controversial idea. And in a lot of ways, you know, it requires um, complex technical skills and tools. So at the Seattle Public Library, for example, I know that internally they do, they are now collecting some data about users and individual patrons, but it's de-identified in all these different ways. So I think that's a big challenge for other libraries. And Melanie, there was a really lovely detail in your essay about some of the Seattle Public Library's data, which was sort of accidental data that came about because of an art project. Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories about the Seattle Public Library. So they launched this uh, publicly available circulation data program in 2017, but then they realized that somebody had been collecting circulation data for 10 years inside the library. They had sort of forgotten that um, George Legrady, who's a professor and artist, had created this art installation called Making Visible the Invisible, and he was collecting book circulation data and then displaying it in all these creative data visualizations on six LCD screens that were hanging above the information desk. And so they realized they could mine that data um, to get 10 years of circulation data that they themselves hadn't been collecting. So now you can get data from 2005 until the present at the Seattle Public Library. And it meant that your efforts to actually answer these questions about what books people were reading during the pandemic could be at least access in relation to people who use the Seattle Public Library, I suppose. What did you find? So I found that Emily St. John Mandel's Station Eleven had an increase in circulation immediately following lockdown in March 2020, but it did not exceed the amount of checkouts that it had when the novel first debuted. But more recently, there's been an HBO television adaptation of Station Eleven, which has caused an even bigger surge in people getting interested in Station Eleven. So that's something else that we're able to see now with this kind of data is, you know, how are TV adaptations influencing book checkouts? The one book that I did find that had a huge surge in circulation uh, is Boccaccio's The Decameron, which is a series of stories about the plague from the 14th century. And not a lot of people were checking that book out in the last 10 years. But suddenly, March 2020 hits, and there's a huge surge in people checking out The Decameron. So that was really fun to see. And I think it sort of indicates that there's a lot more that we could explore with this kind of data. Absolutely. And Boccaccio had a bit of a spike without the aid of Netflix or a streaming service. That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. Although maybe Netflix will find out about this and then they'll jump on the bandwagon as well. Yeah, the camera on coming to a streaming service near you. Um, Melanie, you're part of a collective called the Post 45 Data Collective. What is that all about? The whole purpose of this collective is to make cultural data publicly available. Like we've just been talking about, there is so much cultural data that exists, but much of it is proprietary, it is locked away, nobody can access it. So this repository is trying to connect 
researchers who've collected and cleaned and curated all this cultural data and trying to make that publicly available and accessible so that you or I or any researcher or person who is interested could, you know, download a bunch of data about for example, we've got data about New York Times bestsellers from the 1930s to the 2020s. And we've got data about everybody who ever went through the MFA program at the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is this very influential workshop. And there's more data to come. We've got a really exciting data set that's coming out soon about literary book prizes and how much money they're giving out and who won them and who were judges. So there's a lot of more exciting data to come from the Post 45 Data Collective. Yeah, stay tuned for the Post 45 Data Collective. Melanie Walsh, it's been a great pleasure speaking with you. And I think it's only appropriate that we, having had this conversation, post it online through the ABC and make it publicly available. That will happen, <laughs> I promise you, as soon as we finish speaking. Yeah, let's make this publicly available. <laughs> Melanie Welsh is Assistant Teaching Professor at the University of Washington's iSchool and the author of a really interesting essay, Where is All the Book Data? Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.